turn uh, in your Bibles to another uh, passage. It's page 1167. So it's just back from where we were at in 2 Corinthians and chapter 13. And we'll come to read a verse from here in a moment. Um, You all know Esna and you know that she loves uh, her words. Why use one word when ten uh, would do? Although I'm equally guilty of that, so I can't point the finger. But she loves big words, uh, evocative words, words running together, words spilling over into poetry uh, to mark uh, family occasions, whether they're occasions of sadness or whether they're occasions of joy. Quite often on Facebook you see this piece of poetry uh, coming from Esna. Uh, Words that bring comfort, words uh, that share her heart. Words that express her feelings, words spill out of Esna, especially when she's excited. But she has a competitor, a man named Paul. Uh, one of the, the maybe that's why she wasn't so keen on him at the start. Um, but he was one of the most prolific writers in the ancient world, and he wrote half of the books that are part of the New Testament. And he loved words and language so much and he was so, so gifted with it that he would invent new words where there weren't words good enough to capture uh, the richness of what he was writing about. And when Paul got excited, he would forget to stop. He would forget about punctuation. And he would just keep going. And he would construct some of the most amazing sentences ever written. Uh, and we read one of those sentences this morning uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 3 to verse 14. Although in our English Bibles, to make it easy to read, they put in paragraphs and they put in full stops, uh, it's one long sentence in Greek of 202 words. Paul starts in to thank God and to praise God for the great salvation that he is enjoying And he just doesn't stop. He keeps going and going. He gets so caught up in the wonder of it. And he he condenses, as it were, the whole story of God's rescue plan into one sentence. In our our church WhatsApp group, uh, we've been praying for a little fellow called Wilfred. And Photographs came through the other day. This is a little premature baby who's been desperately sick for the last year or so. And photographs came through the other day of him coming home for the first time. Um, And Ethna's comment uh, below the photographs was, best news ever. Um, Well, uh, Paul would uh, compete with her on that and say, this is the best news ever. But what Ethna sums up in three words Paul unpacks in 202 words. It's stunning and majestic and one of Ethna's favourite passages. It sets out the wonder of salvation in its rich beauty. From being loved before time begins to being ransomed at great cost to having a glorious and spectacular future ahead. You could sum up Ephesians 1, those verses that we read, uh, with a great love, a great uh, rescue, and a great hope. 
But we're not going to look at Ephesians 1. We're going to look at another sentence of Paul's where he summarizes all that he says in Ephesians 1 and puts it not in 202 words, but in 20 words. 20 words that are, I think, familiar to all of us here. They're used in churches all over the world at the close of the service. Words that are known simply in some circles as the grace. You find them there, the very last verse of Paul's letter, uh, the second letter to the Corinthians, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's our verse for today. That's the verse that I want us to think about as, uh, as we're looking um, at Ethna's baptism. Uh, it's a verse I want Ethna to take away and to have um, and to, to think about often in your life of following Christ. It's a verse for all of us to, to think about. What are these words? Properly speaking, they're a thing called a benediction, a blessing at the end of the service. They're not a prayer from the minister or priest. They are not a pious hope of the congregation. They are a statement from God. Okay, he uses the minister uh, to proclaim those words, but those words come from God. They're God's blessing. It's a pronouncement. He is saying each week, here there are three things that I want you to know are true if you're trusting in me. It's God declaring his blessing. And what more appropriate uh, for us to be looking at on a morning when we have the sacrament of baptism where God is pouring out blessing on his child. So, uh, let's, let's come and look at this. It, it's a threefold blessing from a threefold God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the Trinity can be a mental puzzle at times trying to get your head around it. But at a very real level, it's the foundation of those wonderful truths. Truths like God is love. You see, God is love and has always been love. He didn't start loving because he has always been enabled to love because God the Father has always loved God the Son and God the Son has always loved God the Spirit and God the Son has loved the Father and the Father has loved the Spirit and the Son and the, the Spirit has loved the Father and the Son. They've always existed in love. They've always existed in generous, overflowing kindness, delighting in each other. And what this verse actually tells us is that that generous, overflowing kindness has overflown to his people. We have been pulled in, sucked into this immense delight and blessing. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. Um, the blessing that comes from God to those who trust in him. Now the word blessing is one of those religious words that, that has become so overused that, that, that we hardly know what it means anymore. We use it so easily. But I'm going to use the word enrich this morning in its place. 
Because for God to bless us is to enrich us, to pour out his kindness in a way that brings great richness to our lives. So three things uh, to note. First of all, we're enriched by the Son's gifts to us. Enriched by the Son's gifts to us. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word grace Again, one of these religious words that we we use in all sorts of contexts. But what it means is gift. A free, undeserved gift. A kindness, a mercy, a forgiveness of God that is unearned and undeserved and unmerited. And that's what makes Christianity different from every other religion. It's a sweet and beautiful thing. Every other religion says... Climb up to God. Do this, do that, do the other, and God will uh, maybe accept you. And as we try to do that, then we fall and we stumble, and we, we, we try and pick ourselves up again and go again. I came across a poem once that summed it up. It goes something like this. O oh, long and dark the stairs I trod, with trembling feet to find my God, gaining a foothold, bit by bit, then slipping back. And losing it. And then he speaks of a day when down to the lowest stair I f- my fall as if I had not climbed at all. And then the writer says, And while I lay despairing there, listen, a footfall on the stair, on that same stair where I tumbled and fell and lay dismayed. And lo, when hope had ceased to be, my God came down the stairs to me. That's grace. That's the good news that the Bible talks about. When God comes down the stairs to us and says, I'll pick you up. I'll pay for your wrong. I'll carry you safely home. And That's the gift, the present that God the Son brings. He came down the stairs. He came down into this earth to rescue And he stands before you this morning. Stands before you this morning, Ethna. Stands before each of those who have trusted in him. Stands before you if you haven't yet put your trust in him. And he holds out to you presents, gifts. Let me mention four of them briefly. First of all, there's forgiveness. Forgiveness. Here he is. Here's God, the Son, standing, laden with presents. And we take one and we unwrap it. And it's forgiveness. Or acceptance with God. We're not acceptable to God. Our lives fall far short of His standard. We fail at every turn. We even fail to keep our own standards. We disappoint ourselves. So how much more must we fall short of God's standards? We fail to keep His commands. We we do the things He said don't do. And we don't do the things that He said that we should do. And Jesus summed up the commandments in love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know about you, but I know that I've failed to keep those in any shape or form. And you see, you may be thinking, well, Mark, you're beginning to sound like what you said Christianity wasn't do this, do this, do the other. That's right. This is where God comes down the stairs. And God the Son stands before us this morning. And he holds out to us a present and we unwrap it and we find inside there's a certificate. And as we look at the certificate, 
it says perfection. You see, God the Son came into this world and He lived the perfect life that you and I were called to live but failed to live. All the days of His life, He loved God with all His heart, soul, mind and strength. He loved His neighbor as Himself. He got it right. He did it to perfection and He did it not because He had to but because we couldn't. And He stands before us this morning and says, Here, take my perfect record. There's the pass card. There it is. Whenever you stand before God, the day of judgment, and we know that he'll say to us, your life is unacceptable. God the Son says, show him my life. Put your trust in my life. Take this. And so, um, when you appear before the judgment seat of God, and we're asked to give an account, this is what Jesus is saying. Come to me, trust in me, and you can hold up my record of perfection. But as you look at this certificate and you turn it over, there's something written on the other side. It says paid. Paid in full. Because all the wrong that we've done has to be dealt with. It has to be paid for. God is a perfect judge who won't turn a blind eye. And so... God says it has to be dealt with. And God the Son comes down the stairs into this world, not just to live the life that we couldn't live, but to pay for the life that we did live. And that's what he's doing on the cross. Martin Luther, a um, German preacher, said that going, in going to the cross, Christ becomes the greatest sinner that there has ever been. The greatest thief, the greatest murderer, the greatest adulterer, robber, desecrator, blasphemer that there has ever been anywhere in the world. It's not that he was with these things. It's he was perfect, but he says, give me your guilt. Give me your record and I'll take it and I'll take it and pay for it. And as we open up this present that God gives to us through his son, we find on one side of the certificate it says perfection. On the other side, it says, paid in full. And that's what one of the gifts that Christ gives to us when we trust in him. He was punished. He was forsaken so that we would never be. And Jesus is standing before you this morning. And he's holding out forgiveness and acceptance. And if you've already put your trust in him, you need to be reminded of it. That it's not because you're good or you're kind, or you help your neighbours, or you go to church, that you're accepted. But it's because of what Christ has done. If this morning you're still, you're still wondering, how will I stand before God and give an account for my life? Don't try to do it on your own merit or strength. Don't try to be acceptable yourself. Ask Christ to make you acceptable. He's holding that gift out to you this morning. And it's appropriate as we come to a baptism to to be reminded of this particular gift because one of the things that baptism pictures for us is washing. So here's God's gift. One of God's gifts to us in the Son. But there's more gifts that he's standing holding. We take a second one and we, we unwrap it and we find this one is change. Change. Because the people that Jesus forgives he also starts to change he works in us to change us 
Have you ever been disappointed with yourself? And you look at character flaws, character traits that you just can't shake. Well, God the Son says, I will start to change you. I will change you. We are not what we should be. We are not what we want to be. But the changing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is given to us when we put our trust in Jesus so that we can be changed. Christianity doesn't say change and then God accepts you. It says ask God to accept you and he will start to change you. The order's reversed. What a kindness. And every week, God, at the close of the service, proclaims to his children, here's this gift for you again, for this week. I'm going to be at work changing you, helping you. There's a third gift. We open it up, and it's, it's a house key. It's belonging. It's belonging. We live in a world where we can struggle to belong, where sometimes we feel that we don't fit in. It might be loneliness, it might be conflict with others, it might be all sorts of, of hardships that we've had to face, or we just feel out of place, as if we were made for something else. And the Bible teaches that all those who entrust themselves to Jesus are adopted into his great family. We read in John 1, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So God the Son is standing with us here and he says, by the way, there's a key to my family home. Let yourself in. Make yourself at home. You belong to my family. And again, baptism symbolizes that because one of the things that is said is the person being baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is saying, you belong. You're part of my family. Described in Ephesians 1, God's possession. We belong to him. He cares for us. But it's not just a belonging as an object but a belonging as a son or a daughter. You know, particularly our young people, you might feel as you look at the world that you're a nobody. And that to be a somebody that you have to look like this, have this sort of car, get a job, be successful, have a nice house, have all those things. The world says get your identity, your sense of belonging from being like all these other people who've got all these other things. Why would you get your sense of belonging from things that you can't take with you or things that will decay? God says, get your belonging from me and that will never go and will never decay. And Jesus says to his people every week, the close of a service, here's one of my gifts to you. You belong in my family. You're part of my clan and you will never be cast out. Then there's a fourth present that he has. And he's holding it out to us and he says, you can have this one, but I'll tell you what's in it, but don't open it yet. It's hope. It's hope and a future. Future might be a better word because we can have the hope without opening the gift, but the future is the gift that's wrapped up that isn't ready to be opened just yet. In this world, we have a famine of hope. We've got smashed dreams, haven't we? We've disappointed longings. Maybe life was ruined for us by the actions of others. Maybe an accident or an illness has taken your life down 
a radically different course. And even if we follow Jesus, we're all going to get sick or an accident will claim us. We're all going to die. And Jesus says, ah, but here, I've got a glorious future for you. A life to come where there'll be no illness, accident, death, destruction, where every tear will be wiped away. Where that longing that you have in your happiest moments when you think, oh, this is the way it's meant to be. And then you think to yourself, I wish it could go on forever. Jesus says, that's what's inside the box. That's the future that I have for you. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus says when he's praying to his Father, he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they might see my glory. If you're one of Christ's people, you have a hope that nothing or no one can take away. A hope that the Bible says will never perish, spoil or fade. A hope that's described in Ephesians 1 as an inheritance. Peter describes it as an inheritance kept for you. An inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. And every week when the benediction is pronounced at the end of a service, God is saying, remember you live for something bigger than this week. You live for something bigger than what this world is about. So don't panic if this week doesn't go exactly the way you hope. You've got something bigger in store. And how do we know that there is a hope that beats death? How do we know this isn't all a fairy tale? Because the one who's putting the present into our hands is the one who beat death. And he's saying to you, from the far side of the grave, he says, don't open this one just yet, but one day you'll be allowed to open it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Do you see the, the richness, the enriching that God gives to us through his Son? And actually, that's not even all of it. There's, there's one more thing, and I can't even spend any length of time on it. As he's handed us all these gifts, and we're opening them, and we're looking at them, we're amazed. We look up, and he's still standing there. Because the greatest part of it all is that he gives us himself. God says, I'm here for you. I'm with you. I'll not leave you. I'll not forsake you. And the, the gifts pale into insignificance. They're amazing, but they pale into insignificance with the spectacularness of knowing Jesus Christ, knowing God up close. And he says, I'm here. I'm yours. You're mine. Enriched by the Son's uh, gifts. Secondly, and thirdly, we'll not spend as long on these two, although that doesn't mean they're any way less important. Enriched by the Father's love for you. Enriched by the Father's love for you. The love of God. And whenever Paul talks about God here, because he's already identified the Son and he's going to identify the Holy Spirit, he's, this is God the Father he's talking about. And in picking out these qualities, he's really pointing us to the ones that each member of the Trinity is famous for. Of course the Son loves us, and of course the Spirit loves us. Of course the, the Father's gracious, and the Spirit's gracious, and those things. But particularly are they known for these characteristics. The Son 
is famous for the gifts that he gives purchased at the cross, free to us because he's paid the price. The Father is famous for his love for his people. Now, our world would raise an eyebrow at that. Our world would cause you to, to say, no, that, surely that's not the case. Our world thinks of God the Father as some scowling, dark-faced, thunderously angry being, ready with a big stick to batter anyone that steps out of line. Cold, distant, hard to please. And maybe, maybe that's a reflection of our own experience of a father. Our own fathers can be very good, or they can be absent, or they can be atrocious. But let's not let our experience color the view that we have of God. Let God the Son tell us in his word what his father's like. You know, we think of Jesus as gentle and kind and loving. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. I'm a dead ringer for him. That's what he's saying. He's exactly like me. And then he paints a glorious portrait in one of the parables. Most famous one, the parable of the prodigal son, where this waster of a son goes off, blows his father's inheritance that the son had asked his father to give him. And then he, he finds himself in a pigsty looking after pigs and he comes to his senses and he thinks, you know, I'd be better off going back home and asking my father to make me a servant. My father might be merciful enough to make me a slave. And as he, he, he heads down the road for home, and as he's coming round the bend in the road and over the hill, this figure comes running down the laneway to meet him and embraces him. And it's the father. And the son starts into this speech, you know, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father, no, 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 my son, he says. And he throws a feast and he embraces him. And what Jesus is saying to us is not simply that we can come back to God, but that this is the welcome we receive. This is the sort of father he is. And we're to, we're to be reminded of it frequently. That's why we enjoyed singing Psalm 136. His mercy, his love endures evermore. That's what we have in the benediction. The love of God the Father. We read in Ephesians 1 that it's a choosing love. You can take Ephesians 1 and put your name in it if you've put your trust in Christ. So, Ethna, let me encourage you to do that. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed Ethna, or, or your name, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose Ethna before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's the Father. That's the Father who sent his Son into the world. It's ascending love. He sent his Son into the world to be the one who would rescue us. It's an adopting love. Again, the next verse in Ephesians 1 says, In love he predestined us, or he predestined, put your name in, Ethna, to be adopted as his son or daughter through Jesus Christ. It's an everlasting love. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 31, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Rewind time back billions of years to before there is time and the hands fall off the clock that you're trying to rewind because time doesn't exist and go back beyond that and you'll find God saying, I still love you. 
wind time forward as far as it goes past the day of judgment on into eternity. And you'll not find a time when God says, nope, I've stopped loving you. It's an everlasting love. It's a delighting love. In Zephaniah 3.17, he says, He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And every week, God reminds his children of this fact. It may be that the sermon doesn't fully hit home because it's not dealing with what you're facing with that week. Um, It may be that the Psalms that we pick don't key in and don't resonate with your heart. But every week you leave here with a reassurance of your Father's love. You leave here with your Father's kiss on your cheek. That's the Christian's experience. You know, my dad comes up to visit, my dad and mum come up to visit. Whenever they're going, my dad gives me a good tight hug because that's what Lockridge men do. Um, good tight embrace. Then he says, son, it was good to see you. It was good to see you. That's really what our Father in Heaven's saying every week. Come to church. As we leave, he says, son, daughter, it was good to see you. Here's a love that goes with you into each week. Perhaps as you go home, you go to hard circumstances, perplexing circumstances, to times when you doubt whether God is in control of everything and that he's working it for your good. And every week God says, look, whatever you don't understand, understand this. I love you and I care for you. And then thirdly, so we're told here, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You might think, you know, it would be easier to live this life if God was with me. If Jesus was walking alongside me. If the Father was sitting here uh, and, and going with me through every day. That's exactly what this verse is telling us. It's not the Father's role to do that. It's not the Son's role to do that. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. He comes into our lives to enable us to live for Him. He's, in Ephesians 1 we read, He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Before we go to be with God, God comes to be with His people to make sure that we come safely home. What a kind God And he goes with us into everything. One of the words that's used for him in the Bible is a helper. A helper. The Holy Spirit is a helper, a partner. Someone who comes alongside us, as it were, and puts his arm around us and says, come on, let's go into this together. You're not sure which way to go in life. He says, I'll guide you. The Spirit comes when we're stuck in the pains of life. And he brings God's beautiful word to our mind to comfort us. The Spirit comes when we're mired down in our sin. And he wades out, as it were, into the cesspit of our sin. And he lifts us up and he says, come on. Come on out of here. And he walks with us slowly as we walk out of it. And then he cleans us down. We have the Holy Spirit helping us in our weakness. Helping us when we're struggling. Isn't that the kind of help that we need? And God says to you every week, remember you don't do it on your own. You don't do it on your own. I'm with you. 
And we need reminded of that because oftentimes what, we, what we're reminded of on Sunday, we come to Monday and we think, aye, that was okay for yesterday, but real life starts today. But God says, yes, I know, and I'm still with you for real life. I'm here to walk with you through this moment, through this week. I'll not leave you, I'll not forsake you. We have no cause for despair. Maybe you think, I could never be a Christian, it looks too hard. Could you do it if God himself said, I'll walk with you and help you? So as we come to the end of every service where this benediction is pronounced, let's take it and hear it for what it is, a blessing from God. And if you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, take this and think, this is what I need. Lord, will you do this for me? I need this forgiveness. I need this acceptance. I need this change. I need a future. I need to belong to you. I need your love. And I need you to walk with me. For those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, we need to do exactly the same. I keep needing your forgiveness. I need you to walk with me. I need to be reminded of your love. Some years ago, my wife said that when she hears the benediction now, she imagines Jesus coming and filling her arms with presents, all that she'll need for the week ahead. God the Father giving her a kiss on the cheek and saying, whatever happens, remember that I love you. And the Holy Spirit taking her by the arm and saying, come on now, let's go out into this week together. I'm with you all the way. That's the sort of God that we have. The one who blesses us and enriches us. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these great truths. Truths that are offered to all of us here this morning. Truths that have been purchased by Christ at the cross. Sent by you the Father. And Father in heaven, we we praise you. We praise you for the forgiveness that is available, the acceptance, that perfect record that we don't have, but that is held out to us. And that full payment that we can't afford to pay, that is paid for us, a payment that we would be paying forever in hell, but that Jesus says, I'll pay. We thank you for that. We thank you for the love. We thank you for the belonging. We thank you for the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit to help us to grow and to live and to change. We thank you for all these things. You're a kind and a good God. And Father, we pray that we will be found not rejecting or leaving unopened your great goodness to us. Father, uh, we pray that you continue with us in the rest of our service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, baptism is God's picture promise of his commitment to us in belonging to his family. It's a picture promise of God's commitment to us. And Ethna has come to the point um, where she has acknowledged that she needs a saviour and that she has put her trust in Jesus to be her saviour. Um, I suppose, let, let me just say at this point, that if that's something you want to find out more about, come and speak uh, to me, uh, speak to Ethna. One of the things that, Ethan and I did many years ago was the Christianity Explored course 
And that's an opportunity for you to investigate for yourself, to ask all your questions and to find out who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, so feel free to, to come and ask maybe about that or speak to Ethna about it. Um, but today she's making a public statement of that trust. And God, uh, in baptism, God gives us his response, or a visual, audible, even tactile promise that he means what he says. We're not wasting our time when we trust in him. Baptism is there to reassure us and to encourage us because you can't feel the forgiveness of sins, really. You can't uh, hear God putting his name in you and saying you belong to me unless it's said audibly and God gives us in baptism a picture, a sound, a, a feeling as the water runs over us that he's saying, I'm washing you. I want you to hear that you belong to me. I want you to know that I am blessing you. Something that we can look back to, something we can remember, something for you this morning, if you've already put your trust in Jesus and you've been baptized, you're to look at and you're to think, this is not just something that's happening to Ethna. This is God's promise to me, God's assurance to me. And it's appropriate that we've been thinking about the blessing of God in the benediction. It's a wonderful summary of Paul's great sentence in Ephesians 1. But it's also a statement in words for which God gives us a picture promise here in baptism. Baptism is a God-given dramatization of all that we've thought about this morning. It speaks of God washing away our sins through his son's death. It speaks of the adopting love of the Father as God announces over you over you, and writes his name on you as it were in water and says, you belong to me. And over and over again in Scripture, the pouring of water speaks of the giving of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So all that we've thought about this morning is going to be visually represented in the next few moments. Ethna has indicated her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and her desire to join the fellowship of Christ's people here and let her Kenny. And I now ask uh, the elders and Ethna uh, to come forward uh, to the front here. Ethna has some vows that she's going to take that, that state her faith in Christ and her, her desire to live according to Christ's word. Ethna, do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as the Word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He's the only Redeemer of men, that He's supreme in everything, both in church and state, and depending on divine grace? Not your own effort, but His gift. Do you take Him as your Saviour and Lord. Do you promise, by divine grace, the help of the Holy Spirit, to show a teachable and submissive spirit to the teaching of Holy Scripture as set forth in the testimony of this church? 
And do you promise that by the help of the Holy Spirit, you will endeavor to live a life consistent with your profession? Now to the members of New Life Fellowship, you have a vow as well. And I'd ask you to indicate your taking on of this vow by simply saying, we do. Do you promise to pray for this Christian and to seek by example and speech to encourage her to walk in the ways of the Lord? Ask the congregation to stand for prayer uh, during which baptism will be administered. Our Father in heaven, how we thank you for this day. A day that you knew about before time began. But a day that you have been leading Ethna towards and us towards. A day when she is publicly declaring that she knows she's a sinner. But she knows that Jesus is a greater saviour. And that she's putting her trust in him. And we thank you for that moment. We thank you for this. We thank you for all that you've done to bring her to this moment. Father, we thank you for the family in which she grew up. We thank you for her dad and for her mum, for John and for Phyllis. We thank you for her brothers and her sisters. We thank you for all the role that they have played in shaping her. Father, we thank you for bringing her to hear about Christ. And we thank you for those days, years ago, sitting down and and investigating who Jesus was and what he's done. And thank you for working in Ethna's life to this point and bringing her to to put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you for orchestrating all the events in her life to bring her uh, to this point. Father, we praise you for baptism. We thank you for the sign that it is of washing, of being made clean, being made right in your sight. We thank you too for the, the, the statement of belonging that it is, that you, as it were, putting your name, endowing Ethna with your name, your family name, that she belongs to you, that you take great delight in her as your child. Father, we thank you that you are present here and we pray that you would bless everyone here. Bless us in the ways that you know that we need to be blessed. And we pray for Ethna, that you in particular would bless her so that she might be a blessing to her family, to our friends. Father, we thank you for our friends who are here today and all that they mean to her and all the impact they've had in her life and she and theirs. Father, we pray that you will be a blessing to our friends and to the community in which she lives. We pray that you would lead her and guide her all the days of her life. Ethna, you, you kneel please. Ethna, Margaret Orr, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you Always. Amen. Well, on behalf of the fellowship, 
on behalf of the elders, I want to welcome you into the fellowship. God bless you. God bless you. Just a closing word. How do we respond to this? Don't forget Christ's gifts. Ethna, don't forget Christ's gifts. Secondly, don't doubt the Father's love. Your own Father loves you. He does. He's very fond of you. And, and, uh, but you have a Father in heaven who's even fonder, loves you even more. Uh, don't, uh, don't doubt the Father's love. And don't try to live by your own strength. Look to the Spirit every day for strength. And that applies not just to Ethna, but to all of us. Take this benediction. Hear it. Receive it. Let it wash over you. And say thank you. Let's uh, finish singing from Psalm 121. Again, a psalm that's actually based on one of the Old Testament benedictions. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This song is based on the phrase, The Lord bless you and keep you. And that's the God is. He's the God who goes with us into every circumstance. And this is our prayer for Ethna and for all of us, that they will know that you will know the God who keeps his people. And not just that you'll know him keeping you in your day-to-day lives, but that you will know his keeping forever. And if you want to find out more about that, come and speak to me or speak to Ethna or speak to the elders um, and we'll be delighted uh, to to help you see what exactly uh, Christ has done so you can know this forever keeping. But Psalm 121, uh, it's 121a, the tune is Grafenberg number 94, let's stand and sing. I receive the blessing of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of you now and forever. Amen.